From the Lean Enterprise Institute in Boston, this is the WLEI Podcast, where we share stories of people making the world better through lean thinking and practice. For more information about LEI, please visit lean.org. Welcome to WLEI's podcast series, Coachable, where we explore the implications and dynamics of coaching in a business environment. If you've joined us before, welcome back and thank you for listening. I invite you, as always, to join the conversation. Email us to pod, P-O-D, at lean.org. If you're new to this series, let me catch you up. Episode one focused on establishing the social and emotional connections, creating the bedrock for a coaching relationship to take root. In episode two, Art Smalley shared two mental models, helping us to be situational in our approach by introducing Hershey and Blanchard's management of organizational behavior and the Dreyfus model of skill acquisition. Today, in episode three, we begin to explore creating the environment conducive to the effective coaching and how to use A3 thinking to mentor and coach. Well, if you're trying to understand something in the middle of an experience, it's, it's uh, more real. And um, if there's a little bit of need uh, because of time, um, consensus can be very practical and not idealistic. So time enters into everything in the uh, coaching process. Our guest today is Jeff Smith, who brings the importance of the coaching environment to light based on his 22 years within the Toyota production system and extensive application in many organizations since. Let's get started. Well, when we were learning uh, the A3 process at New United Motor and Toyota, one of the key points stressed was to, when you're away from the paper and pencil, you're internalizing the process through your experience. And it <clears throat> doesn't matter what section of the process or segment of the process you're experiencing or you're in at that moment, but um, the time to apply is when you're in the activity, um, such as doing a job. Um, or a particular function. Uh, for us at that time, it was uh, uh, labor relations, and uh, we were handling calls on the shop floor uh, with a union rep, management rep. And um, in the experience, uh, you would have to um, apply the thinking, the philosophy of the A3 process of... Um, you know, taking information, discerning what that meant uh, to establish a uh, current condition and um, understanding the needs of the situation given the business and the um, area the problem was happening in um, and understanding the philosophy and contractual um, obligations one would uh, use a problem resolution process to uh, vision a solution, uh, a practical one and a more permanent one, and the tactics um, to move from A to B, uh, which would be an experiment, and uh, how often and uh, who would 
uh, check in on that and um, what learning could be gleaned from it to uh, expand that learning to others in uh, the facility. It's not overly complicated. It really isn't. I feel like I've over-engineered by trying to give too many examples, trying to emphasize too many things, trying to break too many bad habits versus just going into it and doing it. Uh, how important is that coaching after sort of hearing something and then moving into experiencing it? I think you have to move into the experience to really understand um, what's normal and abnormal. So understanding a standard and using your perception to say, am I not meeting it? Uh, I'm either going beyond it or not achieving it uh, or I'm right on is really important. Um, so we have to experience that to know what the next step to take is. Um, again, so if I am achieving it, how do I get better? If I'm overachieving it, that suggests maybe we have too much capacity in play. If I'm underachieving it, maybe it's method or maybe it's a bottleneck situation where I need some help. But I have to perceive from the standard where I'm at or where the situation is, uh, uh, what the facts of the situation are, what do they tell us? Mm -hmm. Do you remember solving problems before you knew this way of solving problems, of course? Sort of. Yeah. So what was, what was one big difference in the way you thought about things from before and after you learned about this way? Well, the traditional education systems typically teach, uh, and it's just my two cents, uh, deductive problem solving. So um, there's a standard that's known, and you come up with reasons why you're not meeting it, and uh, sort of like a little tree, and you test and verify all of them, and use a deductive approach to um, discover uh, the severity of each of the things that are taking you off course and then you try to correct them, minimize them, and uh, meet the target. However, uh, TMC or Toyota uh, was very different. Um, they would use inductive reasoning. They would be creative. So they would have a philosophy about uh, where I should be and where I'm at or where the situation's at and they would put out a challenge to make it better so you were never just okay you're always in a continuous cycle of learning uh, so an example might be on a assembly job somebody has to finish some work in 90 seconds well if they're at 93 or they're at 86 there's a problem however if they're dead on, there's still a challenge that can be made. Uh, something can be taken from the situation to make it a problem. And uh, then by default, you fall into one of the previous conditions. So there's a continuous learning that's applied um, from the philosophy standpoint uh, that never stops 
and keeps the coaching or uh, teaching function in uh, continuous flow. I think that's really helpful. I have a question though. How important is the structure at Toyota where there is defined work that is really clear that happens in time uh, with a process and a method that's really clearly defined? How important is this stuff to having clarity around this problem you're trying to solve? Because I work with people who can't place their problem within the context of work. Their problem is somewhere up here in the clouds. It's an idea of a problem. So the standards in work have to be set so observation can be made, right? Uh, without standards, um, it's difficult to observe. And standards in Toyota had a pace. So whether you're online or you're offline, there was a pace, a frequency in which the standard was expected to start and finish. And that would enable one to go to that environment and monitor status or header delay um, and take corrective action. Corrective action meaning uh, what are you going to communicate when you understand that status? When people work on work, when people are taking a look at a process, step one, two, three, four, whatever, a problem occurs in that process, they can't quite articulate where in the process that problem occurs, maybe because it's an abstract problem or maybe because the work isn't physical, it's knowledge work. Um, this sometimes is a stumbling block, this idea of standards, meaning what is the expectation of this process in terms of output? Um, how much, how frequently is the standard? It's not always clear at organizations. If I use a specific example, invoice approvals, at certain time in the calendar, the AP person will send over to someone else a stack of invoices to approve from coaches. And some amount of time passes between receiving those, reviewing them, um, and responding with either an approval or a decline. And for example, if it's, if it's identified that this amount of time takes too long, but we don't align on, what is, what is the right volume of invoices to pass? At what time? How long do I have to review them? And at what pace do you expect them back? If none of that is aligned, can we solve for this problem? Well, I think you have to have a um, philosophy about work. And at, uh, um, for example, at uh, Toyota, they had uh, a philosophy that we want to complete things just in time. So there was a set endpoint. And um, to use resources effectively, we would want to understand the time of the tasks involved, their sequence, um, and any variability in them, or you know how time would jump at any one step, and for what reason. Um, so the lead time would be set as a baseline standard and then the fluctuation or delay or stagnation of any activity would be studied and countermeasures would be drawn up and uh, countermeasures would be temporary and permanent um, 
and again, uh, like most of the work at uh, Toyota, you would know you're on track, you're behind, or you're actually ahead, and then you can adjust. So to answer your question, the specificity around the steps to complete the process would be pretty high and they would be defined in some noun, verb, and time and sequence. Uh, similar to like a combination table where you have a, a start and a, a finish of a number of steps. What is uh, the consequence of a situation where two people perceive the standard differently? That's where the coaching function comes in. Mm -hmm. All right. uh, so the coach would typically take somebody to, uh, uh, the teacher would take somebody to the learning environment and they'd walk through those steps together and there'd be a consensus on that and that consensus would become a baseline for study and experience. What happens when the learning environment becomes a classroom? You move it to the floor. <laughs> yes. <laughs> or you bring the floor into the classroom. Sure. Yeah. Um, what about the, so the clarity of manufacturing work, going to that noisy, smelly shop floor and listening and seeing and feeling the equipment work. It's very tangible. It's very, it's sensational. Uh, sitting at my desk and receiving emails of invoice, 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 invoice in a batch of 12 uh, at an unpredictable time of the month, whatever. Less tangible, but still still a process, right? It still happens. How, what is the learning environment like when it's mm, information that is the material and the process is in my head? Sure. Well, uh, you know, we're dealing with information flow and it's not something you always hold in your hand. It's in a computer. Um, let's talk about a practical example. One could be uh, any one time in a company, many people are on uh, industrial and medical leaves of absence. And, um, you know, those have to be, uh, you have to understand real time uh, how many are in play, what type it is, because uh, there's a responsibility to the individuals in the company uh, for an accurate status and communication about that uh, to the company and to the person uh, because there, are there were contractual rules around uh, you know, medical leaves and industrial leaves and OSHA safety requirements, so on and so forth, and, and their financial consequences. So, um, you know, there is a very detailed step-by-step -step process of reviewing that at a certain frequency, you know, or time, and uh, a habitual response or habit uh, to what the status was. So the labor relations person would respond accordingly um, or the safety uh, person would respond accordingly to a uh, OSHA case um, to support that process and that person. And uh, target levels were set on time to uh, complete components of that process quicker and to keep a status of 
where the progress was on the total day in and day out. Uh, so when dealing with information flow, there can still be specificity, a work sequence, steps, and um, uh, a planned response to the condition that exists. And having some method, some visual way of seeing, how can anyone walk around and see that when it's in the computer or in our minds? Yep. Our computers had little red flags that we raised up. And the since we had an open office environment, a manager would see those and um, yeah. come to the person and address it yeah. um, every couple hours. Cool. So using your tools, right? It's not like you have to create some visual management whiteboard and do twice the work now. Now I have to do the work and then report on the work. But yeah, use the right. tools you're using. So just any process, even the A3 process, the uh, a specific process in the company would have a philosophy that says, I can stop and notify and call for help instead of uh, passing the buck or a defect and uh, having the issue get bigger because time's going on and more things get attached to it. So, mm, And not all organizations are set up that way. And... The idea, the dynamic between the teacher and the student, the coach and the worker, the boss and the employee, whatever, such that a supervisor manager walking around the room can see a computer with 16 red flags and approach in a way that's not felt or seen as confrontational, but rather expected. That's kind of tied up with that idea, right? Philosophy of work. Yeah, I, th I think if the intent of the resolving problems is having a consensus on the standard and uh, then having consensus on how often we're going to check it, um, so the owners create the standard, or they're, they're highly involved, and um, the checking process is uh, understood. Um, you know, two minds are better than one, and uh, and other resources can be brought to bear. And the person checking the standard usually has access to those resources um, and has to assess, you know, their workload, their capacity, and uh, availability. So um, it's important to check the standard frequently, uh, just like you would pull a line on the uh, pull a cord on the line for uh, what happens during the tack time. And uh, that way we don't go too far off course uh, before we can understand the problem deeper, test to verify some things, and course correct. The idea of consensus <laughs> and how sometimes how hard that is to gain. And what did you learn about gaining consensus? Well, if you're trying to understand something in the middle of an experience, it's, it's uh, more real. And um, if there's a little bit of need uh, because of time, um, consensus can be very practical and not idealistic. So time enters into everything in uh, coaching process. There are environments where it's like a casino. There's no clock, there's no window, there's no time. 
And it's not because we're all attuned to the tact of the customer. It's because we're oblivious to time. Uh, how, what would be the one step to move an organization that's operating like that closer to a time-based system? Well, you know, there's, there's that analogy. Uh, Toyota has a conveyor at their final process in their main plants, and it makes it very easy to measure time because it's uh, continuously moving. And as you mentioned, a lot of environments don't have some kind of mechanism to, uh, to do that. But in many of the uh, supplier operations, uh, you create a time-based system without a conveyor uh, by establishing some kind of visual method and uh, uh, authorization uh, tools or devices um, that go into some kind of visual planning method device um, that circulate against a timeline for particular activities. And that helps one visually see a standard being ahead, delayed, or on time. Um, so I assume there's many ways to do that, but you have to create a visual standard that introduces time to an environment that, um, number one, may be lacking standards, but once they're decided, a way to monitor them and pace them um, so individuals can feel the pace of the work. And when people can feel the pace of the work, um, making corrections and coming to consensus is a little more practical. And I would think the overworking stops at that point. It's, it would become obvious anyway. Any condition can be adjusted. So if you know the standard and you're doing too much, or you're doing too little, or uh, you can't do your job, or you're right on track, um, that can actually be observed. Mm -hmm. And then that condition of being over, under, or even being challenged if you're right on, um, can uh, can be made. What you described about a mechanism, uh, authorization tools. The, when I went, I visited a place called Summit Polymers, a manufacturing shop, and I stood on the shop floor and watched the workers do their work. And every once in a while, a woman came around pushing a cart, and on the cart were the number of things that that operator needed to do next. And so at a predictable time, she would come and the space that she needed to take this tray off of her cart and put it onto the workspace uh, was timed, uh, synchronized to her delivery. And it prevented that worker from over-processing, or at least if they finished their batch sooner and she got there and there was nothing there, that would be an indication, right? So that would be a visual... Um, a visual standard that would she would know that that person is working either faster than they need to or she can deliver material sooner or um, and also if she got to that station and they still had half a tray left she, <laughs> she, she couldn't deliver her next tray and so they're in like built into that exchange of material was a way to talk about whether we're ahead or behind yeah, so if, if your philosophy about work is you want to do only what the customer is asking for, um, 
you have to know how much they want of what and when. So it behooves you to, um, you know, decide where you're going to send that information about what, when, how many. And when it reaches that point, it has to be in a sequence to carry out that task. And then a decision has to be made about the pace at which you're going to divvy up and accomplish that sequence. Um, at which point you need a physical mechanism to uh, ground or apply the sequence into the environment. Um, could be a card, could be a tablet, could be a piece of paper, could be a cart. Um, but when we think about work, um, we have to send information to a location. It has to be in some kind of sequence. And if it's not paced, we can't tell that ahead delay on time. Um, and then that pace has to be connected to a visual object, cart, card, something that we can see illustrating the status of the process. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The um, conditions of which allow for coaching to happen. Otherwise, it's just someone asserting themselves, really. I mean, it's not so much coaching if it's not clear what is the, what is it, what am I coaching you on? Like, coaching for what? It's better to coach on facts than opinion. Philosophy of work. Stop and notify. Deliver only what the customer wants. Uh, that's not a philosophy that one person can have in the organization, right? A group, yeah. And that group, uh, where that group resides, hierarchically in the organization matters? Well, if it's an organism, it's more like an organism, like the body with the organs and everything. Everything is connected, so it has to be at all levels. Is there anything else you'd like to share? Sure. Um, regardless of the work you do, there could be a standard. And there can be a way to visually see if you're ahead or behind. Um, and it's possible to, or more than possible, to create planned responses to that status. Um, to get better and to continue learning. So to develop learning cycles which develops culture. Um, takes patience, takes persistence. Um, and it operates from facts that we observe. And it helps if uh, the learner and somebody with a little more experience are seeing those together real time in the environment. And that's a good place to start. Thank you. You're welcome. And many thanks to you as well for tuning in. If you'd like to be a part of our conversation, email to pod at lean.org. The WLEI podcast is produced by Emma Rick and Lori Moniz here at the Lean Enterprise Institute. Coachable will be back in a month, but please tune in next week for another episode of WLEI.